Welcome to the Microchip Is podcast. Join your host, Mike Maynard, as he learns about the technologies, products, and people that make microchip technology what it is today. Welcome to Microchip Is, the podcast that talks about all the different aspects of microchip technology. Today, we'll be talking about FPGAs, and I'm joined by Diane Tassetti. Diane is the Senior Manager of Business Development at Microchip. Welcome to the podcast, Diane. Thank you, Mike. Nice for you to have me on. Of course, it's great to have you on. So you're Senior Manager of Business Development. Can you tell us a little bit about your role at Microchip and what you do to grow the FPGA business? Yes, I am the Senior Manager of Business Development and Outbound Marketing for the business unit, uh, specifically focused on the terrestrial market segments. So I have a counterpart that is responsible for our heritage business, which is all of our space, aerospace, and aviation. So everything else kind of falls up and rolls up under me from industrial to automotive, medical, you name it. Well, so, I mean, FPJs, I think, can be used everywhere, as you say. But when I look at the website, I mean, one of the things you're talking about is the intelligent edge. Can you explain what you mean by the intelligent edge and why it's so important to your customers? Sure. We didn't make up the term intelligent edge. In fact, if you listen to some of the analysts or or read about what the analysts are reporting on, everyone is moving compute to the edge. It's It's a full switch from, you know, everything being done in the data center to moving out to the edge. You know, the edge devices and nodes, they, they need to be very flexible and they need to support diverse architectures. You know, edge devices, when you think about adding artificial intelligence and machine learning, they need to support constantly evolving algorithms, highly specialized applications, you name it. So when you have this fundamental shift from the data center and the architecture that's already in place, you have this intelligent edge, which is a new market. So what we're seeing is, is the intelligence moving closer to the actual application rather than sitting in the cloud. So does that mean that customers have very specific requirements for products you know, used on the edge? I mean, presumably you're bringing a lot of processing power, so there's things you need to do to actually be able to cope with all that power. Absolutely. Three key things to remember about challenges that designers face is power efficiency, um, security, and then it has to be reliable. So having exceptional reliability is another key consideration. But then we have identified five challenges that fall under those three categories that the intelligent edge specifically face, and that is thermal and space constraints. So, you know, when you're moving things away from brick and mortar of a data center and you're putting into people's homes, their cars, you know, you name it in their hands as far as, you know, mobile-based devices, thermal constraints is, is, is a big issue that needs to be resolved. Minimal power budgets, because now some of these items, they don't have an unlimited power budget. They might even be on a, a battery. So being able to manage power efficiency through both thermal and limited power budgets is really important. Uh, you know, safety and security. So you have no cyber security if you don't already have physical security in place. You know, making sure that these applications and, and items are both safe and secure is also very important. Supporting real-time and flexible compute needs. So that could be operating systems. It could be different compute models and architectures. And then, of course, tying back into reliability is you don't want these things to fail. You don't want the radiation that we experience every day 
to cause a bit flip. And so zero configuration errors is also very, very important challenge that needs to be addressed. So there's quite a lot of demands for these products. You know, I mean, you need the performance, but also you need low power, et cetera, et cetera. You talk a lot about polar fire for this market. So, yes. I mean, I'm interested to know a little bit about polar fire and how you've optimized it for the intelligent edge. So polar fire is actually five years old, maybe even six years old now. We built it from the ground up and we optimized the architecture, you know, at that time for edge applications. So it's a 28 nanometer CMOS process and we've licensed technology from Sonos. That's what gives it that non-volatility. And, you know, we then built power optimized, area optimized architecture within the device to make these really tiny packages and, and to address the, the things that I just mentioned, you know, about thermal constraints and power budgets. Polar Fire is really optimized for that, that edge market. That includes a SOC version of the Polar Fire family. So we have both an FPGA and an SOC. And that's quite interesting because, you know, I used to design with FPGAs a long time ago and the world's changed completely. I mean, you can have processors on board, all sorts of functionality. And clearly that's something you've done with a polar file to, again, optimize it for these applications. Absolutely. So I'm interested to know, in terms of the FPGA market, how big is it? I mean, there's been a lot of change in the market with companies being acquired and things. So how big is the market itself? There has been a lot of acquisition. The market itself is about $7.5 billion globally. So it's huge. Um, you know, the FPGA and SOC market is, is quite large. I do believe that it's growing maybe about 10% a year. But don't take my word for it. That's, you know, it, it is hard to, to guesstimate these types of numbers. But, you know, $7.5 billion is maybe about a 10% growth rate year on year. And in, in terms of that, I mean, how well is Polifier doing in that market? Is that growing at a similar rate? No, we're beating the market and we're beating our competitors. In fact, as a division, we do not, or as a company, I should say, not just a division, but as a company, Microchip does not break out revenue for FPGA specifically. However, our business unit has seen 32% growth year on year. So we're growing like gangbusters and it's, it's a really exciting time for us and for Microchip. And that's really exciting because obviously you're growing much faster than the market. You're taking share from other people. So uh, mm -hmm. You must be doing something right there. <laughs> we are. And as I mentioned, Polar Fire, you know, Polar Fire has grown 48% year on year. And even though this product has already been in the market for five years, we're still seeing exponential growth for and, and demand, you know, for Polar Fire in, in new designs, specifically along the Intelligent Edge. That's fantastic. And I, I love the Intelligent Edge. It's such an interesting market, but I'm a bit of a geek as well. And we talked about, you know, FPGAs being used everywhere. One of the areas you've got a really strong reputation is in space. So mm -hmm. can you tell me a bit more about that and what makes microchip FPGAs so suitable for that market? Sure. The heritage products that we support are for the space market. We are number one in aerospace and defense microchip as a company, but also, you know, our business unit. Although I'm on the terrestrial side, I can tell you that it is our power, reliability and security story that that puts us in that position. You know, we have worked with these customers, you know, these large aviation clients, as an example. Think about every time you go on a commercial flight, you're flying with at least 30 pieces of microchip along with you. So, and, and again, I guess if this is, you know, trying to look at some of the cooler technologies. I mean, AI is another big area. Um, mm -hmm. Do you see AI being deployed with Polar Fire and how's that being done? 
Absolutely. AI is exciting and it's everywhere from the, the depths of space. You know, think about Mars rover, think about satellites, even low earth orbiting, you know, satellites. And, and that continuum spans all the way to your home. There's sensors in your home, whether it be, you know, your refrigerator is smart now or you have smart homes and everything in between. So literally AI is everywhere. And Polar Fire specifically has enjoyed strong adoption in embedded vision uh, applications. So embedded vision and, and using cameras or visual input to make decisions is only going to continue to grow. Uh, everything from industrial lines to, you know, the new prosumer cameras to medical diagnostics. I mean, we've come so far in medical diagnostics. It's, it's crazy. Also, I, I can't, you know, I can't not give a nod over to aerospace and defense. And I don't want to forget about automotive. Cars now have dozens of cameras, you know, and sensors on a car. So, you know, literally AI and using that embedded vision to your advantage and to make decisions on behalf of yourself or the car <laughs> or the milk in your fridge, it's really everywhere. That's awesome. And, and, you know, I've seen you've actually got development kits specifically designed to help people do vision AI projects. So mm -hmm. it, it's actually something, presumably, that's relatively easy to do with Polarfire compared to other products. Well, AI is not easy. <laughs> Let's be real. You know, AI is challenging. You have to think of AI needs to have multiple frameworks that they support, you know, in order to take advantage of what Polarfire offers as a low power inferencing platform. So that's when the frameworks are decided and the algorithms are running, you know, you then are leveraging our technology to inference, to make that visual input-based decision. It's not easy. So deep learning frameworks and, and neural networks, they need to be converted to RTL code and a computer scientist might lack the expertise that's required to do that transition into RTL code. You know, there's a multitude of frameworks that are being used and developed and released, you know, consistently. There's a, there, there's a learning curve for new developers. FPGAs, although taught in most engineering, you know, classes at, at the university level, it's not the number one picked career choice after, but you know, I wish it was, but you know, we, there, there's just a learning curve for new developers. And so when you have all these things and then you have this challenge, right? So you, know, you have somebody that might not have the experience, you have very large construct of, of data and information, and you want to invest in hardware, how do you validate your neural network is even going to work in the hardware? So we have developed a tool called Vectorblocks, and Vectorblocks can address those challenges and make it easier, not easy, but make it easier for developers and designers who want to take advantage of that to take those networks and convert it into RTL code and validate it before they make heavy investments in, in hardware. So um, it's a really exciting area for us. And that's fascinating. I think, you know, one of the things that changed, I mentioned a long time ago, I did FPGA development. One of the things that really has changed is the tools. Um, mm -hmm. And there's so much more functionality and so much more capability to make yeah. sure the design works first time. We, we talked a little bit about SOCs. I'd like to go back to that. I mean, there's so many functions that you can put on SOCs. So what are the key functions you're adding to the microchip SOCs? So Polarfire SOC is, you know, our, our key product now. We, we do have prior generations of product that have ARM processors in there. But where I'd like to, you know, spend a little time is on Polarfire SOC. And the reason why is we're leading the market 
with a quad-core 64-bit RISC-V-based processing architecture. And this is a big deal because, you know, RISC-V is growing exponentially. It's going like gangbusters. You know, you might not see as many commercial-based products for it, but lots of large companies are deploying it in their frameworks and in, in their systems consistently. So us investing early in RISC-V allowed us to have this lead in providing a commercial programmable open-source compute-based architecture. Polarfire SOC itself supports things like asymmetric multiprocessing with, you know, double the power efficiency. So again, back to the same message, our products are highly power efficient. As part of some of the architecture decisions, we also added a flexible and configurable two megabyte L2 cache. So you can use that to loosely or tightly configure it with your you know, processing architecture. We support Linux and we support real-time operating systems. So there's just a lot of opportunity to customize what you want to do and support multiple different types of processing architectures. So Polarfire SSC is a really cool product. And, you know, we're seeing opportunities for Polarfire SSC literally everywhere. And we're seeing opportunities where there might have been, you know, a CPU or an MPU external and, you know, the, the client was using the FPGA to support infrastructure or hardware acceleration. And they're now able to consume that other device within a single chip from us. So we like that. That's awesome. And I think, you know, you maybe were a little coy there because from what I understand, microchip was actually the very first to introduce a RISC-V core onto an FPGA. So you've not been mm -hmm. working with it for a long time, but longer than anybody else. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And it just deserves a shout out. Ted Spears um, is on the board for RISC-V and they look at him like the godfather of RISC-V in, in some ways when it comes to, uh, you know, his involvement very early on with the others from UC Berkeley that, that started the ISA itself. That's awesome. I mean, I've loved talking about the FPGAs themselves, but let's look at, you know, a little bit wider. I mean, how do you see your business impacting microchip overall? How, where does it fit into the company? I love what our business unit brings to microchip. And what it does specifically from my perspective is it extends microchip's leadership in compute, but it extends the continuum of compute that they can now offer. So think about, you know, they, they've been known for eight and 16 and 32-bit, you know, microprocessors and controllers. Now we have 64-bit SOCs and the opportunities to go and engage with clients that are developing with FPGAs and SOCs is, it's, it's a wide open greenfield. And we're really seeing that with the engagement from our own field engagement with clients who say, gosh, you know, I, I didn't even know Microchip had FPGAs. And so it's one of the reasons you and I are talking is to kind of get the word out that Microchip is FPGAs and SOCs, and we are really extending that compute continuum. So it's an exciting time to be part of Microchip and really to be part of this BU. And Diane, I love your excitement about the products as well. I think that's great to have someone who's so enthusiastic about the products. One of the things I personally think, you know, makes people enthusiastic about the products is really cool applications. So, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe you could share with the listeners a couple of the applications that, that you think are particularly interesting. So I'll tell you one for me that is really near and dear to my heart. And 
I am a very fortunate person. I'm fortunate to have a job. I'm fortunate to work for this great company, Microchip. But there are so many others out there that are less fortunate. So when you think about the continuum of healthcare and health-provided services that are available to folks in maybe third world or, or less developed nations and regions, you know, we have several customers that are developing new ultrasound. And what this brings really to these, you know, low-income, less developed nation is the democratization of healthcare. It, it makes it accessible for everyone. And so now we have these ultrasound wands that are handheld. You know, you can connect it to your iPhone and out in the Serengeti or out in the fields or, or wherever the people may be that need this type of diagnostic equipment, we've made it low cost. And, you know, we've, we've made it so that anyone can have access to it. And, and so for me, I think that's a really impactful application and design that, you know, we have been involved with. And it's just really exciting to, to think about portable ultrasound in that way. Other interesting applications, like I, I think there's so much going on with, you know, industrial. I mean, wait, we've seen applications where we now have cameras that are counting the sesame seeds on a hamburger bun. So you want to make sure you have 64 seeds for you know, every hamburger bun. So things like that, that are, that are feeding people, that are providing healthcare options and enhanced diagnostics for people that wouldn't normally have them. And speaking of feeding people, you know, agriculture. Agriculture is another one that is just booming. And these very large tractors are going out and, and deploying artificial intelligence to know when is that food ripe, ready to pick? Does it need a little spritz of extra water? Does it get too much water? Is there some type of pest or, you know, a weed that needs to get plucked? Like being able just to bring this type of technology to the market is, is cool. So I, it's hard to pick one, but those are a couple. That's certainly an interesting range of applications, I have to <laughs> say, Diane. And I particularly love the ultrasound, mm -hmm. not just because it's doing some real good in the world, but also it's great when companies actually care about bringing products to a much wider audience rather than their high-end sort of flagship products. So it's great to see that you're enabling technologies to be rolled out where previously people couldn't afford it. I think that's awesome. It's awesome. And Microchip Cares, you know, Microchip Cares is such a great organization to be a part of and all the things that they do for their clients and their employees and, and just the world as far as how they're addressing sustainability and, and green technology, it's, it's a really cool place to be. That's amazing. And presumably when you're doing that, you're not just doing that on your own with the FPJs, but you're working with some of the other microchip business units? Of course, of course. So an FPJ or an SSC, you can think of it like a blank canvas or even, you know, a Swiss army knife, but on its own, it's still a blank canvas. So you need to connect to other things. And so we work a lot with our other business units. Think about like CoExpress as an example. You know, we have these really high speed CoExpress buys and we, we've now created the capability to run 40 meters worth of cable delivering power and video using a CoExpress, you know, product. Um, analog and power. We're working with, you know, the different business units in Analog and Power to make sure that we have optimized solutions to take advantage of the infrastructure within PolarFire to make it simple, less translation. There's a PMIC being built that's, you know, built just for PolarFire. So, you know, having a customer come to Microchip and buy one thing isn't what we want them to do. 
you know, we want our customers and they know that we have this, this really broad portfolio. So as a business unit, when clients are designing, you know, they're making these decisions to use an FPGA or an SSC very early in, in the design process. So when you're working so deeply in partnership with your clients and you have all these other amazing products, you want to make sure that, you know, they've been vetted and tested. And so that's what we spend a lot of time working with our other business units to make sure that we're partnered together for the best possible outcome for the client. That's awesome. If someone's new to FPJs and they're, they're looking for a way to get started, maybe they're a microchip customer of other products, or maybe, maybe they're just not a microchip customer yet. Yeah. I mean, what's the easiest way to actually start with microchip FPGAs? A couple ways, a couple ways. First of all, talking to you know potential university students out there, we recently launched a uh, discovery kit. So um, our discovery kit is targeted towards several pilot university programs but we're making it available for everyone. And this is a, a low cost, you know, full featured Polar Fryer SSC based kit that you can do a ton with. So that's one way. We also partnered with Beagleboard.org. So, you know, the maker community is very familiar with, with Beagleboard.org. And the, the BeagleBone 5, um, is it BeagleBone or BeagleFire? I think it's BeagleFire. Sorry if I got that wrong. But they created a very low-cost board, and they're building applications. And they have a huge client base and ecosystem around BeagleBoard and, and various capes to make things really easy and, you know, makers and hobbyists and, and people who just want to mess around with the technology. You know, we have those two options. You know, we also offer a lot of training classes. So, um, you know, we have training classes online. We have a large suite of uh, YouTube content and playlists on the microchip YouTube site. So that would be another place to go and talk to anyone that is connected with microchips. So if you're a client watching this and you have a salesperson or if you don't, give us a call. You know, we have folks that that would love to talk to you and, and you know, kind of help you get through the hurdle or recommend a tool or a board um, as a place to get started, for sure. That's awesome. So many ways to get started. I, I also feel we probably should talk about the uh, development tool software mm -hmm. as well, but but that's probably another podcast, I guess. True. We are not just FPGAs. <laughs> we have a unified design flow uh, that comes along with it. And that unified design flow covers domain solutions, operating systems, tools, intellectual property, you know, hardware and silicon. Tools could be its own podcast, Mike, for sure. <laughs> Diane, thank you so much for your time. It's been amazing. It feels like we've covered so much. I, I guess to sum up, is there one thing you'd like people listening to really remember about microchip FPGAs? Yeah. You know, we're the low power leader and we have been for some time. And we're going to continue to lean into power efficiency to make sure that we have the best solutions available. And we have an exciting roadmap coming your way. You've been an amazing guest, Dan. I've, I've really oh, enjoyed thanks. this. Thanks. I mean, if anybody would like to get in contact with you and maybe find out a bit more, what's the best way to reach you? What, do you want my phone number? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, obviously, I'm on LinkedIn. I am part of the uh, microchip marketing team for FPGAs, so we have an alias for that. If you want to reach out to me directly, uh, it's first name, last name, you know, Diane.tosetti at microchip.com, or ping me on LinkedIn. Or if you have more of a general question, we do have a marketing alias. That's FPGA underscore marketing at microchip. So lots of ways to find me. 
That's awesome. Diane, thank you so much for your time and all your great insights. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Mike. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the products. Thanks for listening to the Microchip Is podcast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform to keep learning about the many technologies, products, and people that make Microchip what it is today. Look out for our upcoming Microchip Is podcasts and our new Beyond the Microchip podcast series. Thank you.